Mopi.co. This is the Flagship Pod, a weekly live podcast about the stock market, the economy, and the various market forces powering the world around you. As always, I'm your host, Peter Starr, bringing you this time, you know, AI mania, folks. Um, the stock market has initiated kind of a minor bull run on the back of an absolutely historic beat provided by NVIDIA as AI mania has fully hit the market and we are basically living in 2025 levels of revenue. Um, an absolutely wild time watching spend just fly around this market. To help me make sense of the mania here, is everything getting overbought? Is this a bubble now? Um, to help me understand all of that, as always, audience, I am joined by st- uh, our chief analyst here at Moby.co, our CEO, co-founder, and chief analyst, Justin Kramer. Justin, man, where are you in the world now, dude? How's it going? Good. Everything's good. Uh, markets are are going crazy this week, seeing a strong re- rebound that's kind of asynchronous from what's going on in the broader economy. So um, I don't know how long this... I'm not sure how long this deviation will last for, but there's a lot of key themes that will be uh, very important going into, you know, the next five to 10 years. It's really weird because like last month we made this really big kind of fancy model about where NVIDIA was going to go based on some sort of undervalued areas they had within the AI space. And we're like, yeah, they'll get to this number by 2025. And they just posted that very same number yesterday. And it's very bizarre getting that kind of whiplash after doing all of that work and being like, nah, nah, dude, the market's already here. Um, We've been kind of waking up to the fact that people are really developing these AI systems within their data center product a lot sooner than we anticipated, simply because companies like Palantir, Uber and Meta have found ways to just absolutely blow up their businesses by supercharging algorithms with AI models. So Justin, as we look at this, I mean, we're sitting here on Friday. NVIDIA has added $200 billion in market cap in a 24-hour period, like literally unprecedented, the single largest stock jump in history. NVIDIA's CEO alone made $6 billion yesterday. How on earth does this even happen, man? Like, how do you get this level of mania? What is happening here? Yeah, the Nvidia stuff is is pretty nuts. I mean, even when you zoom out a little bit more and you really see what's going on from the stock over the this year, uh, the stock's up 170% this year. So while the 30% jump this week was significant, you know, it's been a buildup for a while. Uh, and if you zoom out even further over a five-year period, they're up almost 500%. So this is kind of, I wouldn't say a long time coming, but Nvidia is in a very interesting position right now because of this, you know, jump real jump into ai so obviously ai has taken kind of the center stage and has been you know this year's crypto or this year's nfts um every year is going to have you know new themes and and new hype and we don't want to comment on if you know the hype is uh is real or not like i think the biggest thing that we're seeing in the difference between crypto nfts the metaverse is that this technology exists and it's being used every day, whereas the other stuff was like, oh, it will be used at some point. So AI is a, you know, whether it's overhyped or underhyped, it is a product people are using. And when you look at the moves corporations are making, it's then directly reflected in not only NVIDIA's earnings, but then NVIDIA's projections. And so NVIDIA right now is sitting in an amazing position because in order to use generative AI and a lot of the new tools that companies want to build on, you need a ton of semiconductors and chips. And that is NVIDIA's sweet spot. Uh, giving chips that are, are high CPU and GPU processing power. And so the need for their chips have absolutely skyrocketed overnight to the point where revenues increased over 50% year over year. And their projections going forward have just massively outweighed any analyst expectations. And so the best analogy to draw with them is it's, you know, it's similar to the gold rush back in 
back in the America's pastime or America's history as we expanded west. People found gold in Colorado and a lot a lot of parts of the western United States. But instead of necessarily finding the gold, there were plenty of people out there selling the shovels and jeans. And that's how Levi Strauss got started and kind of blew up their brand. Um, and that's not too dissimilar from what NVIDIA is doing. They're not necessarily trying to make AI applications themselves, but they want to be the ones supplying the chips that help drive the application. So again, they're not the ones digging for gold, but they are supplying the, what you need to go find the gold. And so it's putting them in an amazing position to ultimately be and capture a ton of market share in this AI kind of revolution as we're seeing right now. And so, you know, their stock is, is close to a trillion dollars in market cap. And they're going to end up, you know, joining that trillion dollar club with Google, uh, Amazon, and, and only a handful of other companies. So, you know, it's pretty insane. Their, their valuation has gotten quite rich, but the outlook is pretty insane. And when you look at historically where they've been, uh, you know, in terms of a forward looking multiple, it's it's not too far offline. So it's, it's not that crazy, uh, even though it might feel like it. And to give you some idea of like where our math is coming here, folks, like when we looked at NVIDIA literally a month ago and made a pretty bullish estimation of them thinking that AI wasn't just like, you know, a head fake, but something potentially real. We modeled them at a fairly aggressive uh, $6.8 billion in revenue for this quarter. And then NVIDIA comes, which was ahead of what the street expected, but NVIDIA came in and just nuked that by getting over like, like seven and a quarter billion dollars from this quarter, $7 billion from this quarter alone, right? Then we look at their projections for next quarter. Rather than like a nice, normal, linear projection, their midpoint is $11 billion, a 50% increase in revenue because of how insane the demand has been. Because to go back to Justin's metaphor, NVIDIA isn't just the person sort of selling the shovels. They're the person who owns the gold mine. They're the person who owns the gold refinery. And they also kind of own the jewelry store as well. Like they are going to get a triple dip from every single part of the AI hype cycle because when we look at NVIDIA, when we look what these AI chips do, first of all, you have to train AI models, and the only chips that really are on the market to do that are NVIDIA's chips. At the same time, you have to deploy those models with semiconductors that are optimized for the extreme load that generative AI causes. Generative AI, AI relies on a bunch of parallel connections as opposed to other computational, you know, gobbledygook, and NVIDIA's chips are optimized for that specifically. So you are getting both sides of the generative AI equation if you are not like, you know, Meta or Alphabet developing your own chips, NVIDIA is going to get you the ability to train your AI, then deploy your AI, and then build applications within that AI that don't completely cause you to burn down your data center, right? So even though we're watching cloud budgets shift like away, like AWS over at Amazon is going down because it's getting less and less profitable for businesses to sort of scale that cloud way, doesn't matter. Instead of cloud budgets just going down across the board, cloud budgets are now shifting into AI as every company has woken up to the fact that Facebook is up 100% this year alone in six months simply because they added AI to their recommendations algorithm and bam, Increased time on Instagram by 24%, massively increased the amount of, sh doubled the amount of shares happening at Instagram Reels, basically turned Reels into an actual honest-to-God TikTok competitor and made, sh made it so that their ads recommendations were so strong and so robust, they kind of defeated 
Apple's whole privacy wall. Like they're not tracking you across iOS devices anymore, but they don't need to anymore either because of how powerful these recommendations algorithms are. Same thing's happening at Palantir and same thing's happening to the recommendations engines over at Uber, right? It is so wild to see so many businesses get transformed here. I and mean, it's not even because of what people said AI was going to be. It is just taking existing powerful algorithms and supercharging them with AI. Like I can't even like put words to it, right? It is so wild watching this revenue come in. Yeah, no, it's pretty, it's pretty insane. Um, I know a lot of people are probably super skeptical of what's going on and naturally I, I understand it. You know, there's been so many promises of so many like increases in technology over the last few years for a lot of it to fall flat on, on its face. And, you know, plenty of companies surely will ultimately go out of business and a lot of this will be overhyped, but, you know, make no mistake, AI is definitely a part of our future um, and ultimately will be integrated into a lot of people's lives. And for right now, it's not necessarily taking jobs away, but it's making jobs more efficient, which is inherently deflationary. So I know we talk about the economy a lot um, and we talk about inflation and what it's going to take to ultimately get it down. But technology is ultimately deflationary because it ultimately makes people more efficient. With more efficiencies come lower costs and with lower costs comes less inflation. So naturally, as this technology gets more and more adapted over time, maybe it took five people to do a certain job and now it only takes one or two. So yes, may those people lose their jobs over the long run? Certainly. However, from a company's perspective, instead of it being, like I said, five people, now it's two. Now the cost to produce items just got slashed in half by over 50%. So therefore, they're able to then push out goods at cheaper prices or increase their margins again, which is either good for the company and or deflationary for the environment. Um, so technology in general has always been deflationary and so has innovation. So it, you know, it's ultimately good for the economy and good for a lot of the problems we're dealing with now, but it ultimately is gonna come, you know, take a bit to come to actual fruition. And this is also coinciding like another trend that we thought would be would help buffer Nvidia and like eventually get to this stock level, you know, two years from now was the fact that it's getting cheaper and cheaper to source the products necessary to build semiconductors again after after 2020, after all of the fears surrounding China and Taiwan and everything else, um, we're it's getting a little bit cheaper and easier to build semiconductors again. Nvidia had to respond to the insanity of 2020 of all those lockdowns of everything that went down and make their systems more efficient. They've accomplished this task and it's they are just boosting the absolute bejesus out of their market. And out of the nowhere as well, this is just completely anecdotal, but their gaming product because of that is now back in business as well. Gaming's up 22.3% quarter over quarter. So just just wild watching, you know, four different trends combine at once. Like we're seeing kind of a full recovery from the supply chain catastrophe that was 2020, at least in, you know, the tech space. Like we're still seeing reverberations across things like food, across livestock and agriculture, but in the spaces that were the most impacted at first, we're seeing that recovery as well. So it is genuinely wild to watch audience. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of things getting overbought in the short term, especially if NVIDIA comes out, you know, post July and says, sorry, not 11 billion, just 10 or whatever with their quarterly revenue. But it is just crazy watching the speed with which these things are getting developed and sold. But just understand, like, it is not because of Chad GPT or anything. It is because of specific made um, algorithmic solutions for deep software stuff right now. AI is not coming for content marketers and social media posters yet. It's coming for um, 
all of the tech workers who just got fired from places like Meta, Uber, um, and everywhere else, uh, the, the very expensive end of the business because they just completely over-optimize these algorithms in the space of just six months at these various tech plays. And so that's going to trickle down to other software, what am I trying to say, uh, software-based um, value propositions, right? So this is, the, this is the very beginning, and you're really not going to see the benefits of AI outside of like these quarterly earnings calls, at least yet, that'll trickle down eventually to sort of more like user-friendly ways that we can see. Like we thought it would be back in November, but it's just so wild watching the script completely flip in the AI space. So this mania is real, this money is real, and it is wild that NVIDIA managed to put themselves just a little bit ahead of the market to grab all of this spend the moment it was here. Like it also just comes down to solid management, just getting ever so slightly ahead of the game, you know? Yeah, no, 100%. It, it makes sense. So we're kind of looking at a, a crazy time period right now, and things are going to progress, I think, faster than they have historically, which is typically how technology ultimately works. Um, and so NVIDIA is definitely in a, in a place to capture all of that. And, and so is actually Meta, you know, transitioning for a second. Meta stock is up huge this year. Double, we doubled were, in the, it's, it, we're going to, this podcast comes out a minute before June, and Meta managed to pull off the double in six months proposition. Yeah, up to date, 100%, 107% this year. Um, we were always, you know, I would say since 2021, very anti-meta, especially with TikTok, their transition to spending billions of dollars on the metaverse. And then pretty much over, you know, the summer into the fall of last year, they started making this transition into what they call the year of efficiency, which more or less um, had them, you know, still spending money on the metaverse, but ultimately spending more money on AI solutions, spending more money on reels, engagement, their core platform. And it's honestly, you know, really paid off for them this year so far. Reels are being shared 25% more. Um, while TikTok is potentially looking at getting banned across the country, they're still continuing to get more market share. Revenues are back up. And they credit AI to a lot of this in terms of being able to make right recommendations uh, and ultimately support their ads platform even more. So we'll see what happens with the spend in the metaverse. But again, leveraging AI is the theme here uh, and ultimately has been a huge reason why they've been back on track this year. And if you want to get more like inside how we're thinking about Meta, we literally just did a sort of big deep dive into why we're even more bullish on Meta after our initial sort of like re-optimization of um, jumping back into that strategy, right? So that's over at app.mobi.co. Get a go ahead, try a 14-day trial, or just you know check out our long-term research there. Um, we kind of dive into as well just other factors that are showing just how much engagement engagement is being driven over at Meta. First of all, daily active users are back over three billion people. And every one of those folks who doesn't understand how meta is valuable anymore, I think one way to really clarify that is that if you look at the difference between daily active users and monthly active users, um, meta currently has around across its family of apps 3.5 billion monthly active users. So that ratio is 79%. So all meta has to do is convince you to check their ecosystem once a month, and they will have an easy time getting you to check the e ecosystem once a day. And so AI is sort of powering a lot of this all the way down, right? It's all about their new recommendation engines. Um, 24, uh, 40% of recommendations on Instagram right now are being given to you by some sort of AI. They have completely changed how that recommendation engine happens, and that has led to a lot of new engagement on Instagram. Time on Instagram in the past six quarter has gone up 24%. Like, that's an unheard of number when you're dealing with, you know, billions of people a day. As you alluded to, Justin, people are now sharing reels on Instagram 2 billion times per day. It was 1 billion in January, which was already unprecedented. So, 
as I've said before, like these AI changes are happening like on system wide levels across basically every company that actually matters. And it's really wild to watch. So make sure you check that out again. That's app.mobi.co. Grab yourself a 14 day free trial. See what we're thinking about them in terms of long term. And then kind of get ready for us to sort of like there's not going to be we're not going to cram these into the next like two weeks or anything, but a lot of our posts are going to come down to how AI is transforming a lot of these businesses. Basically, everybody but Microsoft is having a huge watershed moment with AI, and Microsoft, as you'll see maybe a week from now, doesn't even need it, frankly, because cloud spend is shifting their way uh, at the exact right time. So, great time to be Microsoft, great time to be big tech again, but the main question is, how long is this spend going to last? And so that's what you're going to see next week when we re-up our price target in NVIDIA is, okay, here's what we're thinking in terms of how real NVIDIA's spend is, right, spend is right now. How long is that going to actually last, though? That's the million-dollar, or in NVIDIA's case, trillion-dollar question, right? So um, this will this is something that will last for a while, but can, they can very easily come right back down to earth come Q2 earnings that hit, you know, sometime July, August, or whenever. So gear up for that. We are in an absolutely wild time when it comes to AI. So uh, th thank you, Justin, for letting me get all breathless about that. Uh, Walla text. Very excited. Love looking at data like this. But let's sort of make sure we're talking about the whole market, right? Because the whole economy isn't just the NASDAQ. And the Dow's been hurting this week, right, Justin? Um, mainly because we are all super spooked by um, all this debt ceiling malarkey, right? Um, the Dow finally is up today on Friday uh, because there is more hope of a debt ceiling deal being reached. But that deadline to hit the debt to, you know, not crash into U.S. Uh, the U.S. debt ceiling and then default on all of our debt, you know, that is next Wednesday. So, Justin, what's going to happen, man? Are we going to default or do you think we can actually sort of pull this up? Like, how are you sort of seeing the way our government's operating with this debt, debt ceiling nonsense right now? So you would think that most people, you know, ultimately would think that this will get resolved. And I'm not saying that it won't get resolved. But what you have to understand right now is that the Speaker of the House, who's more or less, um, you know, the third most important person in, in the government, um, right now, his job is kind of on the line, Kevin McCarthy. So if ultimately he doesn't save face and doesn't look good in between these debt negotiations, he, there's a good chance that he ultimately gets removed as Speaker of the House. And so right now, especially with a lot of how these politicians work, they're not necessarily interested in helping the country. They're interested in helping themselves. So while it seems crazy that they couldn't come to a solution um, for the sake of the U.S. people, ultimately, they're more concerned in, in keeping their own jobs. So it's not so ridiculous to think that ultimately, you know, they're going to look out for themselves, make sure they retain their jobs, even if it means we default on our debt. Um, you know, it's it's a very real possibility. Having said that, we don't think that's going to happen. There's been more negotiations and ultimately are starting to get to a better place. And the market is clearly starting to price that in and believes that will continue to be the case. Um, but again, this is something that you have to keep your eye on because if the U.S. defaults on its debt, I mean, the whole world's going to get flipped upside down. You know, we're looked at as like one of the leading countries in the world in terms of being uh, as having the highest debt, but be able to repay our debts. And if we start defaulting on debts, I mean, our ability to have cheap capital in the market is going to be significantly impacted. You know, I guess sure, does that bring down inflation? But that's going to lead to a massive problem here. Um, because the world here in the U.S. especially runs on debt. So ultimately, again, we're under the impression that it will get resolved, um, even though there's only six days left. But, you know, this is a, a grave threat to the nation and, and ultimately needs to get resolved ASAP. If I'm an investor looking on this in the sidelines, you know, I'm investing through, in, through it. 
Um, but I also want to limit downside risk. So, you know, adding on cheap positions to ultimately kind of hedge some sort of, you know, last minute crisis is, is definitely advisable. Definitely. And if you're sort of on the more degenerate side of things and are hearing us say, we're very confident this is going to get resolved and think, okay, I'll just, you know, buy a bunch of options that set me up for like a potential bull run that gets triggered the moment this ends, i.e. sometime around next Wednesday. I also want to point out that paradoxically, once the period of uncertainty ends, sometimes people kind of like bail on a bunch of their positions. And we've seen the stock market actually have a pretty sharp sell-off in the days after the debt ceiling gets raised and the, these issues get resolved, right? So don't think of it as a guarantee or anything. Plus, this also it also could all not get raised, right? Like Kevin McCarthy has an extraordinarily slim position. And if he capitulates to the Democrats, he is toast, right? In, in, in a sense. So a lot is kind of riding here and there's a lot of different polls pulling on it. So I would just kind of like Stick, stick, stick to the sidelines in this cup. Uh, uh, I would stick to the sidelines in this upcoming week just to make sure, you know. But Justin, as this sort of like, as our eyes shift more and more to Congress, as you know, Congress kind of you know takes the weekend off and then like takes us right up to the deadline next week, since it is Memorial Day weekend. One thing people are thinking about a lot is obviously con con congressional members doing trades on the stock market. And so as we're looking at our congressional trader in the Mopi.co app, are you seeing anything interesting there? Are people sort of like taking interesting positions that say, well, I think that we're going to actually default here because there's no actual deal to be made? Or how are we sort of monitoring this as we sort of use our own tools to monitor uh, congressional trades uh, on the stock market? Yeah, it's something that's like taking a, a slight backseat to the AI and ultimately debt ceiling news, but ultimately is still a massive part of the markets right now, which is that congressional you know, members of Congress, uh, of the House of Representatives are basically using inside information to ultimately profit. And it's it's very apparent. Like it's it's not something that's like, oh, is this happening? Yes or no. It's very clear. You know, Nancy Pelosi and her husband are are buying NVIDIA stock, you know, months before a lot of this AI stuff breaks, months before they ultimately vote on a bill that ultimately will see more money being flowed into US semiconductors. Um, and that's just one example. I mean, th there's there's a bunch of these kind of across the industry, uh, and it stretches, you know, not just to her, but to many others. Like Daniel Goldman, who sits in the house in in the in New York. If you look at mo some of his recent trades, he's been selling off all of his outside positions of U.S. Uh, municipal debt by state and buying up municipal debt in the U.S. because he sits on. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. He sits on uh, our infrastructure uh, committee here in the U.S., so he ultimately is going to have accountability and understand what projects are and aren't getting funded, and then ultimately can you know put himself behind higher yielding debt that he has inside interest to. And again, this is just the most recent example, but this is happening time and time again. And so, a something to be extremely aware of um, that they're you know playing by different rules than the rest of us, and b you know I wouldn't necessarily trade directly off of it. But we can then use this information and try and understand maybe they have, you know, again, inside information that we don't have. And so if we have certain theses on trades and we see that that is just potentially then a supporting uh, argument for or against a certain stock. Um, so if you want to see more of ultimately these trades on an up-to-date basis, uh, in the app, we ultimately publish all of these in real time as they get announced. Um, and so you can see what stocks they're buying what stocks they're selling, who's doing it, how much they're doing it, what days they were doing it, um, and ultimately get a better sense of what's going on. So I, we think it's a really, really helpful tool for investors just to see you know, what people with, <laughs> with actual inside information are doing.
Exactly. I mean, it is it is a substantially lagging indicator given the amount of time that Congress has to sort of post those trades, but it is tremendously valuable to help you make sense as you develop these long-term narratives, which is how you're supposed to be investing anyway, right? So, Justin, we have shoved a lot of time into the AI side of this conversation, unfortunately. We have about five minutes left, so I want to make sure we also check into the rest of the economy as well. So one other thing that we're really interested in, Justin, uh, we saw inflation come back a little hotter than we wanted it to, so maybe we're going to have to keep raising rates. We'll have to see. Just the Fed's preferred measure of inflation came back a little more spicy than it should have, but that's leading to who's going to survive inflation and who isn't. And this week, we got a lot more specialty retail data, right? We saw companies like Abercrombie and Fitch just completely blow up because they managed to change their value proposition a little bit and post better earnings. Whereas dollar stores are crashing. Dollar Tree Incorporated is down 11.8% on the on the week, right? Because uh, they're seeing elevated shrink, i.e., half of their custom, like more and more of their products are getting stolen. And B, they had they had thanks to inflation, they have to shift to more consumables, which is a lower margin product. So as you sort of like watch the winners and losers in retail, do you see any any trends that are emerging, or is it simply that um, the if you market to a higher price point individual, you'll do better even in inflationary times. Like, how are we sort of watching retail sort of reckon with the, the highest inflation has been since the 70s? Yeah, I mean, it really depends on the type of product and ultimately who they're passing it down to. So like, you know, you mentioned Dollar Store, you mentioned uh, Abercrombie and Fitch, but for example, like Chipotle, like they're dealing with very similar issues that everyone else are, but Chipotle has done something really amazing. So they raised prices very steeply in 2022. And so it made a lot of investors nervous that ultimately this wasn't gonna be able to pass them down. But what they saw is that it didn't impact their growth. If anything, people were comfortable paying more for, you know, guacamole and extra chicken and all of the things that they make money off of. And so they were able to pass down a lot of those costs down to their consumers. We're seeing the same thing with airlines. Airlines are able to pass it down uh, in the form of higher ticket prices, even though gas prices and jet fuel has gone up. So we really just have to look at it a company by company basis, understanding the demand elasticity of goods as it relates to inflation and interest rates. And just, you know, as we've been saying now for a long time, just looking at it company by company, no longer can you just look at a sector and invest in the whole thing. Companies within it then do well while others do bad. So, you know, looking at retail, dollar stores have done bad, Chipotle's done very well. If you wanted to invest in retail historically, you know, you could do so and they all trend in a similar direction, but today they're starting to deviate. And if you wanna get even more granular, you know, Chipotle is doing well, but there are other food stocks out there that haven't done well. So we need to look at it again, company by company, the macro is important uh, and it help does drive headwinds or tailwinds, but ultimately we need to be looking at individual companies and seeing how well or not they are responding to, you know, anything that's in their way. And then ultimately how their consumers then respond as part of that. So again, Chipotle has done really well. Uh, their consumers are quote unquote, loving the product. You know, they're at 51% this year and not that being up 15% this year is bad, but Darden, who is the owner of Ruth, Chris and a bunch of other chains is only at 15%. So, you know, there's a lot of nuance within it. Whereas like a year or two ago, you just put money in the index, let it sit. Today, there's a lot of deviation in performance. So looking at a company by company is very important. Exactly. Because the whole, you know, buy the index and just let it figure it out was more of a, it's a great strategy to have during periods where interest rates are super low because, you know, there's a lot of free money kind of sloshing around the market and it's a lot easier to win in these environments. That's why you see lots of people like in these sort of higher positions really decry interest rates because, oh no, easy mode has been turned off in the economy, unfortunately. And so this very much is the era of winners and losers. Can your business 
take an actual punch and still thrive. And that's the main thing we're doing as we do our long-term analysis is finding these companies who can not only survive this elevated difficult, the elevated difficulty of this economy, but find folks who can thrive long-term. Like Chipotle is going to keep growing like this uh, on the back of higher prices, on the back of more efficient sort of store operations are going to keep doing great, whereas other companies are not not as well. If you want to check out our, our app as well, we're, we're seeing this happen in the real estate market as well. There, there are real estate plays that simply will have a hard time for the next five years period, and there are real estate plays that are well positioned to do to sort of like go with the flow, so to speak, of the market. I'm not going to tell you the pick here. I want you to actually download the app, but there are there are ways to sort of still be diversified, still be defensive in your portfolio, but make sure you're still matching the flows of how this economy is moving. So I really want you to check out our app there. But Justin, that does kind of bring us to our time here. So uh, Justin, obviously very intense episode. I'm amazed this was 30 minutes. It's been an absolutely wild time here in this market. Very exciting to see AI mania back. Of course, we could be back here next week talking about one of the biggest collapses in US history if we just end up defaulting on debt and just that's what just what happens. But any final thoughts from you before we go, go ahead and read the credits here? Again, as always, great conversation, great dude. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that we ought to want and as usual, uh, it's always impressive how much you can cram into 30 minutes. Uh, there's always so much more we want to dive into, and we try and do as much as we can uh, publishing it to our app, but it's really good to have conversations here uh, and field questions if and when they come up. So as always, if if there's any questions and people want to understand specific nuances, uh, we try and stick around and answer them the best we can. So feel free to reach out. We're We're here to help you guys. That's really our main mission. Absolutely. So audience, thank you so much for listening. That is a good place to end it though. So just so you know, audience, uh, this podcast is produced, hosted, and voiced by me, Peter Starr. All the intellectual value from Moby.co comes from our analyst team, which is headed up by Justin Kramer, who is our CEO, co-founder, and chief analyst here at Moby.co. If you want to get more into our long-term perspective, check us out, out over at app.moby.co or just download our app from the app slash uh, Google Play Store. Otherwise, audience, check us out over on Instagram and TikTok as we are getting better and better at sort of like finding the pulse of the day-to-day -day market movements. We're trying to make sure you you get as much information as possible there and we also have an email list that we would love for you to sign up if you can check out that over at app.mobi.co regardless audience we really appreciate your time thank you so much for listening and as always we like to leave you with peace love and incremental gains everyone be well thank you so much